welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sahela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. Hello, and welcome back to the Is That So podcast. Today on the podcast, I have invited visual designer and founder of Tosin Odubemi Design, Tosin Odubemi, to come on the podcast and share her story about her journey home to herself and the struggles she faced growing up as the only Black immigrant in a small suburb of Edmonton. For those who don't know Tosin, she is a visual designer and academic who is passionate about crafting a beautiful, intentional, and thoughtful life. Her goal as a visual designer is to assist others in their design and branding journey by helping them to realize their vision through creating bespoke and timeless visual designs for them. With a conscientious eye for observing detail, Tosin studies forms, textures, colors, fits, and functions, and is sensitive to harmony or the lack thereof. Her visual imagination has been thoroughly trained through years of design education, which has now led her to be able to assist her clients in building an identity visually through their design and branding. Welcome, Tosin. Thank you so much, Sohela. That was such a fun welcome. I am so happy you are able to join us today. And, you know, I often find that the most interesting thing about a person isn't their job or the possessions they have. It's their story. And you have a great one. So I'm so glad you are here and open to share it with us today, because I think a lot of people struggle with understanding or embracing their identity. And I really think that your story is going to be so helpful to so many. So whenever you're ready, I'd love for you to share it with us. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited to share a little bit about my past. Um, And so, as you mentioned in your wonderful introduction, I am an African immigrant and I grew up in this meager, snowy suburb just outside of Edmonton. So prominence has really always been my reality. My family made up for the entire Black population of our town. Mm -hmm. I was raised in this household of highly educated immigrants with super strict values. So whether I liked it or not, I was dissimilar to my peers and I became more and more cognizant of this as I grew up. So I really remember wanting to participate in Western culture, like Halloween, Mm -hmm. for example. I really wanted to trick or treat with my friends, Um, but it was not really something my parents subscribed to, which at that time in my life, it felt like just such a terrible fate for me to not be able to participate in these pop cultures. And I wanted my parents to relate to me and talk to me in similar ways as like my friend's parents talked to them in, which, you know, was just like a cultural difference. Um, And so I really didn't appreciate some of the ways that they went about parenting and the ways they went about like just speaking to me um, and compared really heavily to the other people in my life. Yeah. I do feel like people can have strict parents no matter where they're from, Mm -hmm. you know, but I can imagine it being so difficult to like want to do everything that all the other kids are doing when you, you know, come to a new place and seem so natural to this new environment and culture. But then you're all of a sudden being pulled back to 
mm-hmm. like where you're from, which is more about where your parents are from, right? As you grow into yourself. Yeah, totally. Totally. So it was just like this grappling happening yeah. where my culture really clashed with my peers' lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just tried really hard to assimilate, but I failed, right? Because there was years where I was trying to blend in, but that was actually making me feel more isolated because my outlooks weren't really harmonizing with my family members. Yeah. But as a visible minority, my outward appearance didn't harmonize with my whole hometowns. Mm-hmm. So... I kind of started oscillating between this life at home with traditional Nigerian parents and the Canadian outside world. So in many ways, I identify as a third culture kid. What's a third culture kid? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's this term that was coined in the 50s by sociologist Ruth Usim, and it describes a person who spent their formative childhood years in a place that's not their parents' homeland. So because I moved a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I moved around a lot before the age of nine. So home kind of became everywhere and nowhere, which is the story of so many third culture kids, like, you know, a lot of like missionary kids or kids with their parents in the military or parents who um, like had businesses that were taking them all over and moved around a lot. They kind of grapple with these similar issues. Yeah, I can imagine. So how did that end up affecting you as you grew up? Yeah. So I kind of have this mixed identity where I'm Nigerian, I'm South African, I'm Canadian, but I'm also not fully any of those. So I exist somewhere between being a third culture kid and an immigrant. And I've experienced hardships that are common between and intersect the two. So this cultural identity crisis, it affected the development of my personal identity in these really complex ways. Yeah. So during the season, I struggled with this rebellion of noncompliance. Um, I rebelled against all the adult authority in my life mm-hmm. and disregarded all most of the values that my parents raised me with. Yeah. So I mean, I'm two out of three there too. So, you know, yeah. I think that's pretty normal, but yeah. 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 I can imagine yeah. it being difficult still. Yeah. It's definitely something that so many people struggle with as they grow up. It's just kind of a coming of age reality. Yeah. Um, but then you yeah. had this whole extra layer on top of that. Yeah. I had this fun little extra layer of <laughs> cultural, how, cultural crisis. How was Edmonton? Like, when did you start to realize your blackness, I guess. And like, how was Mm -hmm. growing up in Edmonton? And, you know, like I'm from a big city, like I'm from Toronto Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of black people and you can have more relationships that match with your identity. Whereas you being the only one Mm -hmm. there, how did that, I guess, shape your personality? Yeah, yeah. Like there, there wasn't a lot of people around me who looked like me, if any. I would say my family, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, was the only black family there. And even like, I think there was maybe two or three like non-white families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growing up, I was surrounded by white people. And that really shaped me in such a way that I began to shrink myself in order to make myself more palatable to the people around me. I always saw my blackness as something that people just needed to look past rather than something that could have been embraced. Mm -hmm. Has anything ever like happened that gave you that impression? Or is Mm -hmm. that something that you like really felt by yourself as an underlying emotion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was definitely a mixture of the two. I Mm -hmm. think that um, it wasn't all just people telling me that I needed to be quiet. Like a lot of it was in my own head, but there was like moments 
where like it was very common for me to be told when I was younger that I was loud or, you know, I was too outgoing or I was too boisterous. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like always a comment that my um, teachers would make to my parents in parent-teacher interviews. Um, And so then like, of course, my parents would tell me like, Tosin, you need to be more quiet when you're in class. And then I, I, it was like a social (laughs) thing too, which I think that nobody told me that socially. Like none of my friends would ever tell me that, but oh, I would be told I have a voice that carries, which is funny because now that I'm older, nobody can ever hear me. Like, I don't even <laughs> think that that was the truth. I think that it was just a stereotype of Blackness where it's like, oh, Black women are loud. Uh-huh. Um, so even as a little girl, when I was just being a child, right? Like I was just being myself as being outgoing. Yeah. Instead of it being seen as like, oh, she's so cute and bubbly. Like yeah. it might've been for my blonde best friend. It was seen for me because I was Black as just being like, obnoxious oh mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah it breaks yeah. my heart um yeah. but yeah I can imagine that had a huge effect on your like inner child as you're growing up and finding identity yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah. So till date, sometimes I almost wonder, um, and you know, one of the other great episodes on your podcast about finding your inner child was like really helpful for me to listen to because who knows? Like I, I'm still, you know, on this journey of self-discovery and who knows, like, even though now at this age, I am a lot more quiet of a person and I'm a lot more demure. Part of me is starting to wonder if that's like who I'm truly meant to be, which if that's the case, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's something beautiful about being quiet, but knowing who I was as a child and how different that is to who I am now, I do truly wonder like how much of this identity turmoil played a role in shaping my character rather than me just growing up to be who I wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, you didn't turn out that bad. So give yourself a little bit of credit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look at you. Look at you. Um, you. But yeah, anyway, so we know how it affected you and your identity. But how did that, Mm -hmm. besides being rebellious towards your parents, like, did you have any relationships that also were affected by this? Yeah, definitely. So I, I found myself in a lot of friendships and romantic relationships that ended up being quite overbearing. Uh-huh. Um, I would really allow people to control me. And again, it was that process of shrinking myself, silencing my own voice, and also allowing other people to silence my voice. Yeah. So when you said you were rebellious, like I was rebellious Mm -hmm. too, but like what were you Mm -hmm. doing that was so rebellious that you think continued to lead you down this path of like identity crisis? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I really did in that season of rebellion was secluded myself. Uh Um, I think I would seclude myself into these quite toxic relationships I had this outlook of like it's me and this person against the world depending on like who that person was to me in that season whether they were a best friend or a boyfriend or whoever and because none of those relationships were really healthy at both my fault and their fault it just like it ended up in a lot of isolation I didn't let any other voices into my life other than the voice of you know one other person like I always had that one other person who that's all I would talk to like you um, found your but, identity in someone else. Exactly. in someone else. And it wasn't in myself and it wasn't healthy because, you know, humans are imperfect. And when that person would inevitably fail me in some way, it would just like absolutely crush me and rip my heart out. Cause yeah. I was like, oh, like we're in a fight or whatever. Yeah. So then how yeah. did you, I guess, start to find yourself and start to find your your place in the world and and your place in your heart. Yeah. So I think that one good thing that came out of that season of seclusion was that 
it, it created space for me to discover myself a bit. I made space for myself to really begin to discover who I was without so many external voices and without trying to fit into any of the boxes that I saw as available. That is so crazy that you're saying that because I found that COVID has secluded mm-hmm. me into my own little box. Right. Where like I'm away from all of those distractions because you'd think when yeah. someone was like, oh, I've been rebellious and like I'm not. Yep you know, listening to anyone, you think that they're going to like mm-hmm. be crazy and go wild or whatever, which like <laughs> I did too. But like, yeah, now that I'm also in a occluded box, not that I'm being rebellious mm-hmm. in any way, it's literally the law. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but I find that I've become even more in touch with myself and also my right. own spirituality and my own healing because mm-hmm. I've had so much time to reflect. So that's that's crazy right. that you said that. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no, there's totally something so beautiful about just being on your own. There's probably extroverts listening who are like, no, there is not. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, to, the, to the right. extent <laughs> to the extent of like what, you know, serves you best and like who you are. Uh-huh. But I find with myself, there's something so wonderful about just being alone and just getting to know, yeah, like who you are in your natural state when there's like nobody watching. And so like for me too, when I was alone was when I really got in touch with my spirituality. I have a Christian faith, which is something that I was raised with, but I didn't really take it on to be my own until this season of life. There's actually a portion of time where it was a lifestyle I was like, not at all subscribing to. And I was like, nope, like, do not believe in this stuff. Do not agree with this stuff. But I found that in that kind of era of my life, when I was alone, my faith kind of became this pinnacle of me finding my identity because I was able to reject any negative labels that I had put on myself Mm -hmm. or that had been placed on me and find my identity in something that was stable and unchanging. Yeah. 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 You know, it's really powerful how spirituality can do that to you. I used to do the same Mm -hmm. thing. Like I used to Mm -hmm. kind of cough at, like not cough at it, what's the word I'm looking for? Like scoff, scoff. There Mm. you go. I used to scoff at like motivational quotes and like stuff that was like, just seemed so fairy dust or whatever. But there's something about energy around me that I've always kind of felt And that was undeniable. Like sometimes if you're standing Mm. in nature and there's a huge gust of wind and like the clouds are moving really fast, you're like, okay, I feel the energy of the world around me. There's so much energy here. And I can never deny that. I can never deny that feeling. So even though like I scoffed at so many other things about like energy and spirituality, Now, Mm. you know, hindsight, but now I see how powerful and valuable it can be to have those types of beliefs and to like really put your faith in them. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So you were able to isolate yourself and you found your faith and you really Mm -hmm. like leaned into that as a way of healing. And so how did that, I guess, lead you to where you are today? Yeah. The way I handle relationships, honestly, is so different now ever since that season. Like 
friendships and romantic. It's just wildly different. I think that before I used to allow a lot of people into my life that didn't have the same values. And I would just, you know, go where the wind blows because I didn't have that strong sense of self. I would, you know, just usually conform and chameleon yeah. and were you a people pleaser? What would please yeah, okay. I was a people pleaser till date. I struggle with being a people pleaser a hundred percent. And that just was like, like to the nth degree. I think that now that kind of manifests itself and just like, you know, I struggle to like say no, or I struggle to like cancel when I need to cancel. But before it was like, you know, just so terrible where I would like completely change who I am just to fit in with somebody or make somebody happy with me. Do you ever suffer from anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. That was something that I definitely suffered with or just grappled with until date. It's something that I grapple with. Um, Not so much in the, because I feel like when we talk about anxiety, the most common manifestation of this is like social anxiety where people are really shy and that's not as big of a struggle for me, but um, as it was before, like there's a lot of as big of a struggle. No, yeah, not as it was before, but there, like, there's a lot of moments, you know, where I'll get anxious of like, you know, does this person like me? Like, oh, like, was I being annoying or just overthinking situations that are to come or overthinking situations that are in the past? Like, oh, like. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe I just shouldn't, you know, like just those like crazy thoughts. I do that too. Yeah. I do that too. And that's all part of your healing journey. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at least now with relationships, I feel like the difference between then and now is that first of all, I am in a place where I don't find it necessary for everybody to like me. There's a really funny quote that I've seen on social media somewhere where it's like, you don't need everyone to like you. You don't even like everyone. And it's like, yeah, like it's so simple and so true. Um, And so I do feel now that like I have such solid friendships because I connect with these people on so much of a deeper level. Like these people usually have like very similar value systems as me. Like we have Mm -hmm. something in common. Um, While before it was like some of my friends I really had not much in common with and I just would change to fit in with them. Yeah. And then relationship wise, I think that like, actually I haven't dated nearly as much now as I used to in the past, because before I think I found a lot of value in that, a lot of value in like, people finding me attractive or being dateable. Um, But now it's like actually more of like a, do I want to give my time and my energy and my love to this person? And so that's obviously going to be fewer (laughs) between. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic isn't helping. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky I got boxed in with my boyfriend a little bit. Um, Yeah. But uh, do you feel like today you are able to well like you didn't answer my question actually oh, but I want to also know in terms of like having this moment so how has it kind of mm-hmm. led you to where you are today mm-hmm. so as mm-hmm. a visual designer were you mm-hmm. always like even during your rebellious period were you always yeah. like very into school and education or was that part of your rebellion too yeah well yeah I've always been an academic person but during my phase of rebellion I definitely let that sit on the back burner a little bit Mm -hmm. but luckily it never fell too far back that 
you know, it hindered me from reaching my goals and ambitions today. So when did you find your love for visual design? Yeah, I think since I was young, I've always definitely been a creative. But yeah, it's like it's just recently in the past few years taking form in this way now. So I think that my experiences as a visual minority and my grappling with my culture mm-hmm. has trained me to be unafraid of embracing all my idiosyncrasies yeah. and liberated me to bring new perspectives and actions to design. Mm-hmm. So I've always seen myself as a creative person, even being young. And I've always been a quite academic person, even as young. And I think my phase of rebellion took me away from that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that time of seclusion really brought me back and creativity and design just became that outlet that allowed me to make my oddities an asset. Mm, That's so interesting. So during this time of rebellion and seclusion, you found kind of comfort in art. Absolutely. Creative thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when did you decide to pursue this as more than just a passion to actually like make it your life. Yeah. I'm not sure if there was a moment of decision. I think Mm -hmm. that it kind of naturally happened and one thing led to another. When I was in my undergrad, I- Where did you go to school and what did you take? Yeah. I went to school at UBC, University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And I started out in general arts, like not visual arts. I started out in like, you know, like writing and stuff. And then I actually had a plan that I wanted to switch into engineering. And thank goodness that never happened because I would not (laughs) have thrived. But I ended up going into fine arts and visual arts and then into design. So I definitely touched a lot, but it was just the natural progression of things. And I just... I took a lot of random courses and I just followed the ones that resonated with me most and they all were centered around design. Okay. Yeah. And so that's how you kind of found your way there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of crazy and a bit of like a full circle that you went from struggling to Mm -hmm. find your identity as you grew up to like having this life change and then now moving forward or helping other people kind of take their identity and brand and Mm -hmm. create a visual embodiment of it through design. I think that's really, really cool. So do you feel like today you are now able to like fully own your blackness and culture and diversity? Or do you still feel like you struggle a little bit with with Mm -hmm. stuff like that? Yeah, I definitely think that I've come a long way from where I was before. But yeah, I think that life is just a constant process of becoming and I'm not sure if any of us can ever just arrive at this special place. So every day I do strive to embrace my blackness more and it's a constant rewriting of this narrative that I've been bombarded with truly like just by society. And I think that that's just probably common to a lot of the black experience of people who are black and grew up in the West or grew up in a white predominantly white yeah yeah (laughs) exactly except you were the only one yeah yeah exactly right so it's just there's you know like constant 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 rewritings oh wait there's something I actually want to talk about yeah Um, (laughs) but I know I, I do remember an experience growing up of not like one particular moment but a constant experience growing up of me always feeling so second tier to my white friends, even in the romantic sense as like, nobody ever had a crush on me when I was growing up. Because when you're in a classroom Mm -hmm. full of 10 year olds, and everybody 
look similar and you look so different. Like it's very unlikely that any of those guys are going to look at you. Um, so that mm-hmm. really like your took parents sh- must have loved that. I know. <laughs> I don't think my parents noticed it. And even till date, like I've actually had conversations with my parents and my sister recently about how much that messed with both me and my sister's self-esteem because we saw ourselves mm-hmm. as not very beautiful because none of the guys ever looked at us throughout, even throughout high school, honestly, um, because when you're growing up in somewhere that's so, so, so white, you could be Mm -hmm. the most beautiful black girl there is, but you would actually always still come second tier to your white friends because that's just who the guys would gravitate towards because that's who they were exposed to. Um, And so that like, yeah, that really was something I had to work on deconstructing in my own mind that it's like, you are Mm -hmm. not less than because you're black like you you are beautiful you're just a beautiful girl you're not beautiful for a black girl you're not you know yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah oh. sorry I can't really clap into this thing it's really annoying to the listeners here but that's amazing I'm clapping Aww. baby clapping over here yeah. clapping for you that's awesome I freaking love yeah. that thank you yeah uh, I think like you know we all have a lot of healing to do and there's Mm -hmm. no you know like you said like Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll ever arrive at this place at this like utopia yeah (laughs) you know because I think that there'll always be something as we evolve and we'll Mm. always have new experiences that we have to maybe heal from too so yeah that's but that's really really awesome so Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about the process that you Mm. use to like help people like I'm sure if you're helping people find their identity or, or like build mm-hmm. an identity because to build a brand, mm-hmm. if it's not a f- reflection of your personal identity, it's still yeah. an identity or like something that you like. So can you tell me a little bit more about like that creative process? Right. Yeah. And and how you you take your clients on that journey of finding their identity? Yeah, yeah. So, so much of my personal story has found its way into my creative process. And yeah. I, I really craft and curate brands. Um, and those brands mm-hmm. can be a person who, you know, for whatever reason needs to... Like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a blogger, influencer, like yeah. anybody who needs to create a personal brand or it can be, you know, a straight up business, like somebody selling a product, of course, anything. Um, but in order to do that, there's this process of self-discovery because for me to be able to take who a person is and like illustrate that into a brand they first need to really know who they are so they can communicate that to me so yeah so like for instance if I wanted to open up a soap shop Mm -hmm. and I wanted it to have certain values Mm -hmm. I mean like everything has to be like not wrapped in plastic or like is this about like a wellness brand or is this like a beauty brand or is this like a mixture of the two yeah Mm -hmm. It's a lot trickier than you think. Like for me, I'm having like branding issues, Mm. but that's because like I'm an ever evolving person. So Mm. my branding issue revolves around me continuously connecting with myself because I find that like sometimes I get so busy that I don't have these moments of connection and then I feel like I'm evolving, but I just don't know what I'm evolving to Mm -hmm. because I've lost those moments of connections because I've been distracted by being busy. And so therefore I don't know where my brand is going because I haven't taken the time to connect yeah. with myself. So it's really mm. hard <laughs> to create like yeah, yeah. to create a brand around an identity. Yeah. 
honestly, brands and self are so intertwined. Mm -hmm. And of course, your brand is like a very curated version of any of your own values. And so it's important to not get like so wrapped up in the two, you know, perfectly matching. But the two are so intertwined. It's probably even more difficult for you because your brand is you. And I can really relate to that because same with me, like my brand is me. Yeah. Um, But even for people who there's a little bit more of a separation, like that example you're giving, like if you're starting a soap company, um, or something it's still like you know you want it to resonate with you quite heavily and that's tricky when we're such complex and constantly changing yeah, people exactly so like you would want yeah. it like uh, like I don't know biodegradable or something like you would have to match your values yeah. or, I yeah. don't know that was just a yeah. weird example <laughs> No, no, that makes sense. Like it is, it is true. Like I often do get people because it's like, what, you know, something like what are your brand's core values is something that you hear all the time. And I think the people think that they need to be like so original and just like come up with this whole new personality that is their brand but it actually is so helpful if it's just the same like if you really value sustainability and that's something that you're so passionate about then that it'll be should and can be exactly like part of your brand's core values and it'll be authentic so yeah yeah that's what that's what I'm here for like I do try to like assist in that um, process of discovery like some people are so on it and are so self-aware and it really just comes to me like visualizing that but I find with a lot of clients like there's actually a lot of a behind the scenes process that has nothing to do with aesthetics of the brand but it has a lot to do with like coming to terms with who you are knowing how to tell that story and then I can help you to craft that and make it this visual thing Well, I feel like that would be the biggest challenge for people who struggle with understanding their identity because Mm -hmm. they want to people please Mm -hmm. everybody. And so they're like, what's going to make people like me? And then that just it Mm -hmm. becomes such a detachment from like who you authentically are. Just it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that is really awesome. I'm really like moved by your story. I feel like there's so many people out there that struggle with finding their identity. I feel like I struggled with finding my identity too. Mm. My parents were immigrants. My mom's French Canadian, actually. She's not an immigrant, mm. but my dad is Persian and, and he immigrated cool. to Canada. But he cool. was pretty worldly. But I don't know. I think yeah. it was just, for me, finding my identity had a lot to do with self-love and people-pleasing and yeah. wanting to be liked. And yeah. so I think that resonates with a lot of people and I think your story is going to be amazing at helping them and I I'm really excited that you know you're you're so young and you're so ambitious and you're doing such a great things Thank and come full circle and now you're helping other people that's amazing and I wish you all the luck but before you leave you. can you share with everyone where they can find you online yeah yeah absolutely so I can be found on my website which is just my name, but my full name, oluwatosin.net. Um, if anyone has trouble spelling that, it's O-L-U-W-A-T-O-S-I-N.net. And I'm going to um, link this all in the show notes. And you also gave us a reading resource, yeah, right? For yeah. the third child to kids. So yeah. I'm going to put that also on the website too. Yeah, yeah. I um, gave Sohela some things that I found interesting um, as I kind of learned about third culture kids and like how that actually fits so well into my story and it's so interesting because mm-hmm. this has been studied time and time again um and so I feel very seen when I read those things okay well thank you so much for coming <laughs> thank you so much for having me on and providing the space for me to share a little bit more about my story <laughs> take care hon. 
much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Is That So podcast. And I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.